Thank you for choosing to listen to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. Each of these messages were given by various faculty, staff, and friends of Emmaus Bible College. To view each series as a whole, or for more information about similar Emmaus ministries, please visit concerninghim.com. That's C-O-N-C-E-R-N-I-N-G-H-I-M.com. In our series on the life of the Apostle Paul, we've seen on his second missionary journey, Paul and his uh, crew come across the Aegean and into Macedonia for the first time. We saw the ministry at Philippi and then at Thessalonica and Berea. And now Paul has been sent down along with some believers from the city of Berea to the enormous city of Athens. And that's where we're picking up today in Acts chapter 17. And we'll start our reading in verse 16. Now, while Paul was waiting for them at Athens, his spirit was provoked within him as he saw that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Some of the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers also conversed with him. And some said, what does this babbler wish to say? Others said, he seems to be a preacher of foreign divinities because he was preaching Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and brought him to the Areopagus, saying, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting, for you bring some strange things to our ears. We wish to know, therefore, what these things mean. Now all the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there would spend their time in nothing except telling or hearing something new. And we'll stop our reading there momentarily and open our time with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity that you've given us to hear from your word today. And we ask as we look into the life of the Apostle Paul and his ministry at the city of Athens, that you by your spirit would get, give insight into the words which we are hearing from your word and would give help as we seek to understand uh, how this applies to our lives today. We thank you for the life of the Apostle Paul. We thank you for his desire to share the good news of Jesus Christ with everyone with which he came into contact. We pray that it would be a blessing on us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Our society is increasingly at odds with evangelical Christianity. Within a lifetime, mainstream culture has turned from being generally uh, receptive of Christian morality and ethics to now, at present, being diametrically opposed in many ways to what the Bible teaches. To evoke the Word of God in a conversation used to have a sort of universal weight where most people would pay attention. This is sometimes referred to as the Judeo-Christian worldview, under which much of our society operated for the majority of the uh, 20th century. But that era seems to now be over. To bring up the Bible as bearing any sort of weight or authority for life in secular circles is now almost laughable. The Christian ethic that was the basis of morality in the Western world in the past is now largely offensive to large numbers of people. 
Where it once was fashionable to be Christian in public, it is now uncomfortable and awkward. These realities were highlighted in this past year during a, a town hall debate that I uh, witnessed, uh, which was devoted to uh, LGBTQ issues. And one at the time presidential candidate, for example, when asked if religious institutions like colleges and churches should lose their tax-exempt status if they opposed same-sex marriage, instantly answered yes, and went on to say there should be no reward, benefit, or tax break for anyone or any institution who denies the full human rights and full civil rights of every person. Now, I think this demonstrates the distance our society has come from biblical morality, which sees God's desire for human sexuality to occur between a man and a woman in a covenantal marriage relationship uh, for life. Another example uh, from my own life, we, uh, my wife and I have some uh, very young children, and sometimes we will go to our public library for a library reading time. And at one such library reading time, they brought out a book that we had not seen before uh, that was a, about a prince and a knight together uh, having a loving relationship with one another. And my wife and I, after the reading of the first couple of pages, realized the direction that this book was going in. And so we uh, got up quietly and without making a big scene, uh, took our children and left. We didn't want them influenced at such a young age uh, by something like that, uh, where we would not be able to help them understand the sexual distortion that was being conveyed by this children's book. When the Bible and biblical truth no longer have the authority that they once did, how can we tell an unbelieving world about God's judgment for sin and love through the Lord Jesus? How do we reach a post-Christian culture with the ancient and authoritative message of the Christian faith? Well, in Acts chapter 17, as we look at Paul's message to the Athenians, it becomes for us something of a template for sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those who hold an entirely different worldview from us. And so in verses 16 through 21, we see the events that lead up to what will become Paul's great sermon to the Athenians. First of all, in verse 16, we read that Paul was provoked by the idolatry of the city of Athens. Now, the city of Athens was famous and continues to be famous for its uh, idolatry, iconography, architecture related to ancient Greek mythology. You have the Acropolis, or the upper city of the city of Athens, which includes several different temples to Greek deities. You have uh, the Parthenon, very uh, amazing piece of architecture, which was a giant temple to the goddess Athena, built back in the 5th century BC. It was 45 feet high, 100 feet by 200 feet in its dimensions. 
and uh, a giant 40-foot-tall statue of Athena was said to reside within this enormous temple, one of the wonders of the ancient world. You also have another temple called the Erechtheion, which uh, was a, a commemoration to a competition, according to Greek mythology, between the gods Poseidon and Athena for the status of who would be the patron deity of the city of Athens. Erechtheus was the Athenian king at the time, according to this myth. And so you have Poseidon and Athena competing for uh, who's going to be the patron deity. And of course, Athena uh, wins out in this competition. There are beautiful pillars that are actually made to look like uh, human female figurines on the side of one of these porches. One of the ancient Greek historians, Pliny, speaks of no less than 73,000 statues, probably many more than that, attesting, uh, attested to by thousands of archaeological fragments that have been found related to deities and gods and goddesses within the city of Athens. Some have said that there was a god or goddess for every human being in the city. The term provoked speaks of Paul being angered, being irritated by the city that was full of idols and idolatry. Sometimes in the Old Testament, this term is used of God's righteous anger against idolatry. Uh, Moses, for example, after receiving the commandments coming down from Mount Sinai to find the golden calf, later recalls in Deuteronomy 9.18, I fell down, he says, before the Lord, as at the first, forty days and forty nights. I neither ate bread nor drank water because of all of your sin which you had committed in doing what was evil in the sight of the Lord to provoke him to anger. It's the same word that's used in Acts chapter 17. Living in this unbelieving world will provoke the believer in Christ to action. We cannot be silent in the world around us. We have a moral obligation to speak out for Christ and engage with the cultures around us, the unbelieving world in which we are living. In verse 17, we see Paul's response to the idolatry of the city of Athens. He interacted personally with the individuals that he could come into contact with. He reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happened to be there. Uh, the synagogue is his normal venue for sharing the gospel. He would go to Jews and to God-fearing Gentiles there. But the marketplace, the agora, was more of a daily ministry where he would go and simply speak with anyone who was willing to listen. This was a ministry to the Gentile world. And a good question for us to ask in our modern context is, what is our marketplace area today? Where is our modern agora? Where are the locations where thinking and discussion take place today that Christians can uh, interject themselves into in order to bring up their testimony for the Lord Jesus Christ? 
Well, in verses 18 through 21, Paul's witness in these locations brings opportunity. We hear that there are Epicurean and Stoic philosophers. Now, the Epicureans uh, go back to an Athenian scholar and philosopher by the name of Epicurus, uh, who lived in the 4th, 3rd centuries BC. He, uh, his teaching, his philosophy was sometimes referred to as the school of the garden. Epicureans believed, according to uh, one commentator, in the existence of many gods, but argued in deistic fashion that the gods took no interest in the events of everyday life. Bible teacher Daryl Box identifies the Epicureans as ag agnostic secularists. The Epicureans did not believe in an afterlife, but that both body and soul were part of the material world, and so life fully and finally ceases at death. Now, the Stoics were somewhat different. The Stoics followed the teaching of Zeno, also a 4th and 3rd century BC philosopher. Their name came from the Stoa, where he would teach, and so uh, Zeno's school was called the School of the Stoa. They were pantheists who argued for the unity of humanity and kinship with the divine. The Stoics emphasized fate while at the same time assigning freedom to humans for their own actions. Now, Paul was born in Tarsus in southern Anatolia, as we've seen, which was a center for Stoic philosophy, and so he was likely conversed in some of these philosophical forms. Uh, these Epicurean and Stoic philosophers say of Paul, well, some say that he is a babbler. And this Greek uses the image of a sparrow walking around and plucking up seeds. They seem to be calling Paul a scavenger of ideas and philosophies, trying to make something new uh, while sounding absurd, ridiculous. Others attribute that he's a preacher of strange deities, since he's talking about Jesus and the resurrection. They're probably personifying the resurrection. Uh, Anastasis could have been their thinking of uh, resurrection as a bodily form or feature, kind of like uh, winged Nike or Nike as victory personified. Now, as we continue on, we will see how Paul addresses both the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Thank you for listening to the Emmaus Radio Ministry Podcast. This ministry is possible because of the generous contributions from our partners around the world. For more information about partnering with us, please visit emmaus.edu.